0: Good morning, it has been a joy of my life to watch the church in action. In my family, you have blessed our socks off. December the 13th was one of the hardest days for us to hear the word cancer, that my wife has breast cancer. And her surgery was two weeks ago and she could not be going better. And on Wednesday, on Wednesday of this week, we heard the doctor declare to her that she was cancer free. And the miracle about that is I'm not crying right now. I'm really happy. I'm really excited. And so we are just so grateful to you. I, I cannot put into words how grateful we are for you. Over the last two months, since December the 13th, God has used this church to heal our, our souls and lift us up. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being instruments that God desires to use to encourage our soul and so we're grateful we love you a couple of more procedures to go before the the whole thing is done but man we are just so grateful for that a couple of weeks ago we were praying for the Wong family who they were getting ready to go to China to adopt their son and we also prayed for my wife who was having surgery the very next day and so in the first service the Wong family were here with Theodore their son they just adopted from China we prayed for that God delivered that. God provided for them. Their home. They're now a family of five. And then I got to celebrate how God answered the prayer of, of taking care and healing my wife. And so, man, it's just a great thing that God has done, isn't it? It's just so cool. The Lord has really raised up quite a few people in our church through adoption and foster care. And it is so neat to see families that are being uh, growing that way. So great stuff, great stuff happening, and it's fun to be able to sit back after coming off of a series on prayer and saying God hears us, God desires to align our will with his when we fight with him in prayer and be able to see his will and our will and collide in what takes place in that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and I just hope that you'll be able to celebrate it with us together. Amen? All right, good stuff. Listen, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. We're starting a new series today called Gospel Transformation. And what we want to do is take a look at different stories in the Bible, the Gospel of John, about how God transformed people. Because that's what God does. And we want to and need to be reminded that God still continues to do that. And so we know that the word gospel means good news, and we know that transformation means a thorough or dramatic change in former appearance. And we know that the Gospel of John is full of encounters that people had with the God of the universe, the Messiah, Jesus himself. We're going to take a look at this week, a confused minister next week, a desperate woman, then a needy crowd, and a lifelong outcast, a grieving family, an anxious politician, and a demanding skeptic. We're going to take a look at all of these right here and how Jesus and these these individuals or groups encountered God and, and the transformation that literally took place. All of the ones that I've talked about, that we'll be looking at through the Gospel of John, all of them had questions about who Jesus was. And Jesus took time to answer those questions, and so we desire to be a place at Northwest that is filled with story after story after story of Gospel transformation. Are you with me? That's what we want to be about. That's what we desire to be, to be a church where there are story after story after story like we look at in the Gospel of John and in the whole Bible of lives being radically changed by King Jesus. That's what we want to see, and that's what we hope that God will do. So the next seven weeks, we're on a pretty serious journey to do just that. But before we jump into Gospel of John, chapter three, I have to ask you a question, and I do want you to participate. Have you ever been confused? Of course you've been confused. And if you're, like, married or have a significant other, then you boldly and loudly, under your breath... (laughs) you know, not, not out loud, inside voice, declared absolutely, 100% have been confused. There's a lot of situations and circumstances where we find ourselves very confused. I remember probably one of the things that really, really challenged me as a young dad to, to kids. My kids are now teenagers and, and 11 years old is the youngest one. And so, but I remember when we were younger, we would go for Christmas presents and wrap them up. And here's my confusion. Here's what I was not confused of. I was not confused at the toy and what it was supposed to do. I was really confused. How in the world do I get it out of the box? How many twist ties did you have to undo to get that toy out of where you need to to use it? You've probably been there or probably are there. I, I would say probably for me personally, locally, I am the most confused When I have to get on something called 440. Because I have no idea whether it's 440 inner or outer. Maybe some of you are with me on that. That's confusing to me. Google and Siri and Waves, they don't help you. Because they say 440 east or west. And that confuses me even more. Because I am directionally challenged. Perhaps maybe the biggest confusion that we all have had. Is when we go to a point of sale purchase. And we have to make the most incredible decision. Do I swipe or do I insert my card? I'm not sure what to do. It was literally at a golf, I was playing golf recently and it was at night's play and I was sitting there and I was like, okay, here's my card. I didn't have to swipe or insert the card, but no, no, and I gave them the card and they're like, oh, you have a SunTrust card. Then we have to swipe it twice. And I was like, oh, I'm really confused. I mean, you know, there's confusion about a lot of things in life. And here we come today, we, we start our journey in the gospel of John through this gospel transformation series through an individual named Nicodemus who was really confused at who Jesus was, really confused. And Jesus did not want to leave him there. And Jesus doesn't want to leave you there or leave me there. When we're confused, or whether we're desperate, or whether we're needy, or whether we're just really unsure of who he is. And so two things that can take place. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you're like, I'm confused, I don't really know who he is. Maybe you're confused about who Christ is. Then I pray that maybe today that would be cleared up. Or maybe tomorrow or next month. I trust the Lord to take care of the timing on that. Maybe you're not confused, and but you work with someone who really is confused or you live next door to someone who is confused. And maybe God would use this message to sort of help equip you as a tool to help them understand who who King Jesus really is and what he came to do. Before we jump in to John chapter three, specifically the text for today, I wanna make sure that we understand the gospel of John just really quick, not to insult your intelligence, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page and we understand that, the, that there are 66 books in the Bible broken up into Old Testament and New Testament. We have the Old Testament that has 39 books. We have the New Testament that has 27 books. In the New Testament, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and there you go, good work. And so it is John that we will be spending our time in. The writer of the Gospel of John, he is a Jew, written from a Jewish perspective, and written to a Jewish audience. The, the, obviously, the work the book, the message that's in this book is for the church today and it was for the church then. But, but who was the book written? It was written for, like I said, the church. But what is the purpose of the book? And I think John chapter 20 verse 31 boldly declares what the purpose of this book is. Why was this book written? Because it's incredibly important that you see this verse in light of all the encounters that we're going to talk about all of the gospel transformation stories. Here is the purpose of the book summarized in John 20, 31. It says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Plain and simple, John is on a mission endeavor to help us see who Jesus truly is. And as we pick up in John chapter 3, we come up with a guy who's really confused. He's a confused minister. We'll share, we'll unpack that here in just a minute, but let's go ahead and if you've turned there or turned on there or however you're listening or following along, the verses are on the screen. Hopefully you can follow along. We're gonna go 1 through 21. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is John 3 1 through 21. Here's what it says Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We're going to stop right there. We've got to explain some things right now. Pharisees were a group of Jews who were legalistic and keeping the letter of the law. The law incorporated about 613 laws, and they were responsible for keeping all of them. The scribes would record them. The Pharisees would in- enforce them. They were followers of God based on their observance to keeping not one, not ten, not 500, not 600, but 613 of them. You would say that's impossible. That was what the law was supposed to reveal. So the Pharisees are the religious leaders at this time. They are Jews. Nicodemus is, being, is a part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a, a higher court. Um, A group of 70 folks that would be able to to, to lead in religious issues in a city. Each city had its own Sanhedrin. Nicodemus was a leader of the Sanhedrin. And he has something really, really important to find out uh, about who Christ is. So again, what were the Pharisees looking for? They had this understanding that their religion, them being Jews was what gave them enough to be followers of Jesus, their birthright. Go to verse 2. Then came, this man came to Jesus by night. This is interesting, and it's also an unbelievable thing where you find out about his confusion. If you go over to verse chapter 2, you find out that Jesus is cleaning up the temple, miracles are taking place, and Nicodemus is watching all of this take place he's seeing miracles, he's seeing cleaning up the temple, he's seeing followers, he's seeing all these people follow after Jesus, and he's got a lot of questions. But you know, if he has questions or wants to go to him because the Pharisees did not like Jesus, they were not fans of him. I would say this, I hope you're not a fan of Jesus. And neither am I. But they were not fans of Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus. And so... Nicodemus basically says, I am really confused as to who this Jesus is and I've got lots of questions. And so at nighttime, he goes over to try to ask him some questions. The the rumor mill was pumping about who this guy was and Nicodemus goes at night and that is the first recording of the first episode of Nick at Night. And and this is what he said to him. And he said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. So it's really interesting that, that Nicodemus is saying there is something different about this guy and he uses the term rabbi because we know that he is a teacher and yes, it is very important that we also recognize that Jesus is a teacher, that calling him rabbi is simply n- not wrong but listen, it's not enough because his divinity it's too important just to leave him simply as a teacher. He could not do what he was doing if he was simply a teacher. And Jesus knows, hey, he's coming to me and he's asking me this question. You're, you're, you're a teacher. Yeah, you're, you're right. But you don't have the rest of the story. And he goes through to try to and help him understand. So if we remember the purpose of the book That Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of God, and that believing in him, you have life. And so that's the purpose. So it doesn't leave him there at just a teacher. Then verse 3, Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, and listen to me, this is one of my most favorite parts right here, so please listen to this right here. It is so fun to be able to look at this. Truly, truly, when you look at the original word, it's the word amen. Amen. Your Bible might say verily, verily, or it might say truly, truly. It's the same thing. Here's what's going on right now. In Jewish time, that you would, somebody would say something or make a statement about who God is. They would always start off with truly, meaning amen, or they would say it at the very end. Okay, Listen, you would make a statement, and then someone next to you at the very end of your statement would say amen, or let it be so, or we affirm what's been said. Oftentimes, the Jewish folks would would use this after a prayer. Another word is selah. If you read the Psalms, you know that that word is there as well. It's, we affirm this. We accept this to be true. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus knows that Nicodemus knows what that phrase means. And what Jesus does is he says, truly, truly. He does not put the amen at the beginning, at the end. He puts it right at the beginning, both of them. It's called the double amen. So when he says truly, truly, what he's declaring is I don't need anybody to back up what I'm saying because the origination of this statement is me. I'm the source of it. I'm validating what I'm getting ready to say to you right here from the beginning. It is a double amen. And we will see that all through the gospel of John. You'll see it all the way through. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the bread and the life. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is amening what he's saying and amening what he's saying. He's a, it's double amen. It is affirming the truth behind the claim right from the beginning. Why? Because he is the source of it. He's the source of it. Okay, here's what he said. Truly, truly, I say unto you, here's what he says. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he says this to a religious leader who believes that the way that he is born, by being a Jew, he's good to go. I'm born into this. You're telling me that I'm, I'm not born, I, because I'm born a Jew, you're telling me I won't be able to see the kingdom of God? This guy is incredibly religious, He's very confused right now. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? So you see he's ravaged right now with confusion. He is looking at things on a horizontal level. He is not looking at things on a vertical plane. He is logically explaining, how in the world do I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? That simply just does not make sense to him at all. To the Jews, if you were born Jew, you were born into the kingdom of God. And to the Jews, if you were born Gentile, then you were born lost. Paul in Romans and, and Acts 11 and Acts 10 clear this up, that the gospel is for all people. So we can imagine the shock and the absolute disdain and the confusion on Nicodemus' face when Jesus looks at him and says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you are not born again. He's really confused. He's challenged. And so verse five, he answers Nicodemus's question. He says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, what is it, church? It's a double what? It's a double amen. He says, this is true. I'm the source of this. I don't need someone to come and affirm what I'm saying. I am the affirmation of it because I am the originator of it. I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Nicodemus is, cle- is clearly confused in his declaration. He's confused because here's what he's looking. He's looking at the King Jesus. He's looking at King Jesus and trying to explain him and understand him on a level of the flesh. I like this He needs the spirit of the living God to see the king of God. I'll say it again. He needs the spirit of God to see the king of God. I I like this statement right here. Dogs don't produce kittens. Dogs produce dogs. Cats produce cats. Horses produce horses. Plants produce plants and people produce people. And we are born into this world separated from God because of sin and we need King Jesus to, to, to bridge that gap. And right now he is He is teaching the pastor, the minister, and delivering him from his, trying to deliver him from his confusion. That which comes out of the natural man can only produce that which is natural, and that is a sinful man. That's how we are made. Then Jesus gives an illustration using the wind. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is stuck looking on this from the lens of human eyes and is still quite confused. You need the Spirit. The word Spirit is God breathes in us. We get several words like conspire and inspire. Inspiration, we get that from the word of Spirit. It means pneuma in the Greek. It is God breathes into us life, and that's what he's saying. Yes, you were born of flesh, but you need to be born of the spirit of the living God, which means you are saved. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He wants to know that I, I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed with this confusion. Uh, verse 10, Jesus answered. Jesus answered him and said, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? I don't want to say that that was a little junk talk, but it might be a little bit there. Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and saying, are you really the teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things right now. I need you to understand this is so radically important. You cannot just view him as a teacher. You cannot view him just as a good person. That's not what he came to do. That's not who he is. Verse 11, here it is again. Truly, truly, what is it? It's a double amen. I'm getting ready to say something really important. I'm gonna say it and I'm gonna back it up and I'm gonna affirm it. I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is challenging his very belief system right there. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Jesus came down so that we could come up. Verse 14, and as Moses, he's giving an illustration. I need us to understand he is using an Old, Tef- Old Testament history event that took place that every single Pharisee, every single Jew would know exactly what he's talking about. And so Jesus is is understanding who he's referencing, understanding who he's talking to, knowing his audience, and he's going to them and bringing this up about the history of God's people, the Jewish people. He starts it in verse 13, excuse me, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here's what's happening. In Numbers chapter 21, we realize that God's people were absolutely out in wilderness and wandering. Numbers 21 uh, references this. The Israelites had been complaining against God, grumbling about the journey, not happy with the lack of food or the water. They didn't like the manna that God had provided for them. And so what took place is God sent fiery serpents among them, and many of those who were bitten died. And here's what God told Moses to do. He told them, that he was gonna provide them salvation. What he did was he took a bronze serpent, he set it up on a pole, and he said, if anybody is bitten by a fiery serpent, then what I need you to do is look up to this bronze serpent and you will be healed. Look up to it, because it would be raised up. It would be one of the serpents that merely took on and you would be healed. This is precisely exactly what happened. When those that were bitten by the serpents, they looked up to this bronze serpent, statue, serpent, and they looked at it and they were indeed healed. And that right there is what uh, God, Jesus, is using to help them to understand who he is. Because then he goes into and he says, just like the Son of Man will be lifted up. He is predicting when he is going to the cross. So just as you look up to the cross and what took place on the cross, you too might be healed. You might be saved you might be born again. So as the serpent is lifted up, which was the source of salvation, so the Son of Man draws the illustration that says the Son of Man will be lifted up. And what he's doing is he's declaring to Nicodemus right here and right now what he was going to do with his life, that he was going to the cross. He was going to the cross so that he could build a bridge to us as sinful human beings. So he does just that. Now let's keep going. We come to the most famous Bible verse in the world right here. I spoke on this on Christmas Eve. We're looking at it through the lens of Nicodemus in this conversation. A lot of people would say at this point in time, right after verses 16 and 17 are written, that Nicodemus actually left the conversation but Jesus, but uh, John kept teaching. Look at verse 16, it says, "For this God so loved the world." Do you know that right now? That paralyzed Nicodemus, I believe. That was overwhelming to him, to believe that God loved the entire world, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the order that the world might be saved through him. Absolutely in a state of shock. In fact, I believe at this time, this is like I said, that where he left the conversation. And then he goes down to verse 18, and we say this, we see this, verse 18 says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out And the question that we have to ask is, all of a sudden we have a conversation between Nicodemus and and Jesus. The conversation's going back and forth. It's not a monologue, it's it's a dialogue. They're asking questions, I don't understand this. Jesus answers, Nicodemus asks, Jesus answers. Then all of a sudden Nicodemus is gone from the picture. He's not here anymore. What took place, I believe what happens is that Nicodemus is left, and the next time we pick up Nicodemus is in John chapter 19 And that's at the burial of Jesus. Jesus has been crucified and he is on a cross taking the penalty for a debt that we could never pay. He took it all by himself on the cross. So he takes that. He is taken down off of that cross by a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who has a tomb and they're gonna lay Jesus' body in that tomb. He was anointed with spices that were purchased and provided by Nicodemus. And here's what I believe took place. Help me here. What I believe took place is that Nicodemus came, into, came to encounter a teacher. And over time, Jesus kept telling him, this is who I am. 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 Truly, truly, I say unto you. He uses the illustration of the bronze serpent. And he connects it with the son of man that is to be lifted up. And where was the son of man lifted up? He was lifted up on a cross and Nicodemus was right there and was able to witness all of that take place. And he connects, the when you look to the serpent, you can be saved. When you look to who is hanging on the cross, you can be saved. And Nicodemus, I believe it was at that moment, believed in the son of the living God. It was at that moment, I believe, that he was transformed. Because of what he saw, the connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And watching Jesus endure the shame. It says, by the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So what do we learn? I've got three things for you. Number one, God gives us the spirit of God. So we can be transformed by God. God gives us the spirit of God. So that we can be transformed by God. Amen. <laughs> what happens here? There is a radical difference than living life in the flesh. And living life in the spirit. Our joy in Jesus is dependent upon us living, walking in the spirit rather than resting in our flesh. Our joy is at stake. Let it be a warning to us like it was to Nicodemus. He was trying to understand the things, the ways, the plan of God in the flesh. And what we see here is Jesus looking at him and saying, you must be born of the spirit in order to be born again. So to understand the ways of God, we must be in the Spirit of God. When does that take place? When we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus, the Spirit comes into our life to allow us to know, here's our sin, direction, power, authority. That's where the Spirit of God comes in. Tim Chester says this, we need God's Spirit to recognize God's King because we hide our need for a crucified King. I'll say it again, we need God's Spirit to recognize God's King because we hide our need for a crucified king. I would say this, Northwest, please don't ever, ever, ever settle for doing the things in the flesh and expecting the results of the spirit. Let us not settle for doing things in the flesh but, but expecting the results that can only come through the spirit of the living God. I don't want us to be a church that does that, lives that way, or that's what we model. We model not my will, but your will be done. We live in the spirit of the living God. And that's what grants us the power to do just that. The great evangelist Billy Graham, who went home a year ago, he says this, I don't believe any man can come to Christ unless Christ drives him. My job is to proclaim the message. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the work. Every day, may we be aware of God's spirit in us so that we do not look at King Jesus as a teacher, but we look at him as king. That's who he is. That's who we serve. That's who we get to talk to and that's who we get to pray to. And it is in the spirit that we're able to see that. And I believe Nicodemus eventually came to that place. Number two, beware, religion confuses the way to God. Beware, religion confuses the way to God. Nicodemus came and he, I think he, he had an understanding that he had seats at center court, fifth, center court right there in the middle, nobody obstructing his view to the kingdom of God. It was his, it, he owned it, it was given to him because of his birthright. I'm gonna tell you something. We have season tickets to I split in with my brother-in-law to Carolina football. We endure that to get to basketball, but our seats are under this overhang, and when it rains, we don't get wet, and we just sit there around the 30-yard line, and we've had these tickets for a long time. I go to like three games a year. My brother-in-law goes to three games a year. It's great, and this is, this is the idea that Nicodemus has. Nicodemus thinks that he's good because of what he's doing rather than what God has done for him. And there is a radical difference. What do, we know about, what do we know about religion versus the gospel? And I want to share these with you right now. Religion says if I obey, God will love me. The gospel says because, I, because God loves me, I can obey. Religion has good people and bad people and the gospel has only repentant people and unrepentant. The religion values a birth family, but the gospel values a new birth. And religion depends on what I do. Listen to me, the gospel depends on what Jesus has done. Past tense. The religion claims that sanctification justifies me. The gospel claims that justification enables sanctification. Religion has the goal to get from God. Gospel, the gospel has the goal to get God. Religion sees hardship as punishment for sin and the gospel sees hardship as sanctified affliction. The religion is about me and the gospel is about Jesus and religion believes appearing as a good person is the key. Hashtag Facebook. Appearing as a good person is the key. But the gospel believes that being honest is the key. And religion has an uncertainty of standing before God. The gospel has certainty based on Jesus' work and religion sees Jesus as the means and the gospel sees Jesus as the end and religion ends in pride or despair and the gospel ends in humble joy and that's what I want for us. Not religion, but the gospel because it transforms beautifully. The last statement is my own version of this. I uh, was, was praying this morning actually praying last night at one o'clock in the morning, that I had the worst cough I've ever had in my entire life. I could not even stand up, and, and, and I've been praying, God, please suspend the cough until I can pray and get through the message for this morning. And so, um, our last statement right here, and I just want to praise God for allowing me to do this, is that this statement is this, truly, truly, Jesus is the Son of God, and there is light and life only in him. Truly, truly, which is what? It's a double amen. He is the origination. He is the source. He is the, the, the one who crafted this statement. He is the one who wrote this statement. He is the one who demonstrated this statement. He is the one and the only one. He is King Jesus. He is the one who transforms us because of the gospel. And I want you to rest in this today. I want you to find comfort in this today. Nicodemus came with his questions. And I want you to feel free to come to God with your questions. He came with his confusion. And I think it's important for us to come to God with our confusion. He learned great lessons. He was corrected. And he was rebuked. But at the end of the day, he was transformed. And I want that for you. And I want that for me. And I want that for us. And I want that for our church. And I want that not for our great glory. But I want that for our good. And I want that for his great glory because he deserves every bit of it. We look at what he did as he encountered this man who was bold enough to come to him at night. Thank the Lord he came to him at all. And he came because the Holy Spirit of God was was drawing him into him. And they had a conversation. The conversation went from you're a good teacher to I believe you are the king of kings. Kings. And Lord of Lords. And he could say that as someone who had been transformed. Here's what I want us to do. I'm, I'm really convicted, really, first and foremost, of our comfort level of talking about Jesus. And I want us to be really comfortable in our homes before we can get comfortable outside of our homes. And I want for the next month, over the next month and a half, through this message series, for you and your home to ask questions with this mindset behind you, take it as the Holy Spirit leads, but questions such as, What is, say it like this, what is Jesus teaching you today? I triple dog dare each one of you to ask your family members that question What is Jesus teaching you today? What has Jesus taught you? in the last month we serve king jesus who is constantly trying to teach us that he is far better than a man or a or a teacher that he is the messiah nicodemus came to know that many of us in here have come to know that and if those that haven't come to know that i pray that this year this day this month this week you would come to know that jesus is the christ He's the son of the living God and your life begins with him. Life truly begins and starts with him. How? Through repentance of sins and placing faith in him. I can honestly tell you there is nothing better. There is nothing greater. There is nothing better. Religion confuses the way to God. Jesus declared who he was so that we could experience light and life All for in his name and for his glory. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the gift that you are to us. I thank you for the honor. I thank you for the privilege of being able to stand up here and sing and teach and and give. There's nothing better. I want to thank you, God, for answered prayer. I want to thank you for the Wong baby. I want to thank you for my wife. I want to thank you for Layla and how you healed her. Lord, we have prayed and we have, and we have seen you do things. And Lord, we have prayed and you've been silent. So let us hold fast and let us hold on to that you are the Messiah, that you are good, that there is no one like you, that we have the biggest need in our life and that is a relationship with you. Please help, Please help us and deliver us from putting too much pressure on religion and rules. Help us to understand what truly does it mean to take up our cross, as Adam taught last week, and seriously follow you. Life is too short. There's much to be done. We need your spirit to invade our souls, to help us to understand the power by which we have to call on your name and watch you do great things. So, Lord, we, we thank you for the lessons that you teach. We thank you for the correction that you bring when we are wrong, like you did to Nicodemus. And yet, at the end of the day, we thank you that for God so loved the world that he gave, and that if we were believe and we receive, we can have life in his name. Thank you for gospel transformation, for the good news and for dramatic form. Help us to literally be changed by this great message. You are a great God, and we love you, King Jesus. It's your name that I pray, amen.